Today we are back in the Gospel of John, and in the coolest way possible, we start chapter four today. It's the story of the woman at the well, um, which I love this story. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to picture a more famous story uh, in the Bible than this one. It's just one of the top like five that comes uh, to my mind if I think about like biggest stories or just most influential stories in my life. And, you know, if you've been around or if you grew up in church uh, or, you know, ever did a Awanas or my goodness, especially if you ever did Young Life or anything like that, you have heard the story of the woman at the well. So much so, actually, that uh, when I found out I was preaching this weeks ago, um, I was sort of like, not disappointed again, but I was just kind of like, well, I don't know. I mean, everybody's heard this story so many times, and, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a long time to talk about such a story, you know. Uh, and but I have to tell you, uh, just the last few weeks, kind of diving into this story uh, and just sp- spending so much time just sort of um, sitting in it, uh, it is just a wellspring of life. And, uh, you know, it reminds us that we live today in a world that is thirsty. Uh, we live in a world today that is in need of living water, uh, is in need of the Lord, and that um, as believers, we have, um, we have such access uh, to the Lord, and, and we have such nourishment in living water. And, and I started to find so much joy in this story, and just so much truth in this story, and it began to just bring joy into my life as I was thinking about it each day. And so I can't wait <laughs> to share uh, this with you and just to go through this story today, and whether you've heard it, you know, 10,000 times in 10,000 different ways, or maybe you're here today and you're kind of new to the Bible and you're, you're new to a lot of these stories, uh, man, then you're in for a really big treat. Uh, but for all of us, there's just, there's so much life and satisfaction and nourishment uh, in the living waters. And so, uh, so today we're just going to kind of read through the story together. And, uh, and we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, we're going to point out some things that uh, just really stick out in the story as you read through John. One of the things that sticks out in the story is that there's problems. I think it's one of the things that makes this such a great story is it's sort of built on problems. There, you know, in Samaria, this woman has problems in her life. Even Jesus is sort of avoiding the Pharisees here. And and it begins to kind of stick out that there's some tension in, the, in this story. And, uh, and, and it's such a good reminder for us because our problems don't slow God down. He doesn't get distracted by problems. He, he works uh, through and in spite of those things, and it's a great reminder of those things. Uh, and there's a solution to the problems in the world. There's a sol- solution to the problem that the Bible calls sin, and it's living water. And uh, it, is, it is something that we all have in common. Uh, it's hard to think of a bigger metaphor than water. Uh, you know, air, I, I don't know. I mean, everybody knows what it is to yearn for water and to be thirsty and that horrible feeling you get when you're thirsty and if you don't have access to water. The last thing we'll talk about today as we kind of work through this story is the source of the living water, and that's Jesus. And today uh, there is, there's one truth— Uh, that we preach. There's one truth that we believe because there's one real source of real living water, and that is the Lord, and uh, and that when we have that, the satisfaction and the nourishment, the ability to to navigate through the problems and trials in life, uh, and the witness we have in the world, the truth, the eternal truth that we we celebrate, um, 
when, when we turn to a story like this and, and we get to just spend time thinking about living water, I think you'll find what I found this week, that there's just nourishment in it. There's just health in it. And it just makes you feel strong and healthy and like you're ready to get out there and go for a run or something. So uh, let me pray for us. And we're going to dive into the moment at the well. Uh, Lord, we just come to you today. And um, Lord, I'm reminded that uh, we can often be thirsty. Uh, and, and Lord, uh, that what we find in, in the living water, what we find in, in you, Lord, and your ministry to us um, is more than words can explain. And so, Lord, I pray today as we go through uh, just some great verses and a great story uh, that you would do something that I can't do and that you would make this story uh, pierce our hearts uh, that you would um, just uh, illuminate our hearts to understand your word. Uh, Lord, that you would ready our spirit to respond. God, that you would um, just apply this to our lives uh, in a way that is refreshing and nourishing, in a way that is satisfying. Uh, Lord, because we find all of our hope in you. And Lord, I pray that today you would just bless our time as we remember some of these things today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, so water, I, I did my best not to have like a big cup of water up here and just to be drinking it uh, the whole time. Uh, I've never been more thirsty in my life than uh, thinking so much about the woman at the well, uh, because uh, water is good. It reminds me, so years ago, I went backpacking for the first time and went with some friends and uh, we went to a mountain kind of close by and we went for five days and we had like uh, these like 30, 40 pound packs on and I'd never really done that before. And we went with some people that had been through the trails several times. They knew the mountain pretty well. And, uh, and, and we kind of, we had like a compass and we had the maps and, um, and we only brought these, these little jars of water, like those Nalgene bottles. And, and everybody had one of those. And uh, then we had like those water filter purifier things. So we'd go by these, you know, streams or wherever we could find water and we would pump the water into our bottles. So we'd stop, you know, f four or five times a day uh, because we would just spend the day kind of hiking and exploring and moving down the, the trails. And uh, anyway, there was one day in particular that uh, the, the, the map said we should have been by a stream and, and we went by and it was all dried up. And so we didn't get to refill our water bottles. So we kept, we kept going and not thinking too much about it. And we were kind of listening for running water and, uh, you know, just the sound of any water nearby and didn't really hear anything. And lunchtime came. And so we stopped for a while and we ate lunch, but we didn't have very much water. So then it was like, well, do I like wash down food with water or do I save it for the trail? And um, so that was sort of a, a weird feeling. And uh, so we kept walking and we kept walking and you know, I'll just spare you some details. And we got all the way to nighttime and uh, we were excited because, you know, the map just showed this, this big uh, stream of water and uh, some people had been there before and they were like, it's big and it's, uh, you know, it's good water. And so we were sort of hiking all day for that. And by the end of the day, we were just hiking, just yearning for that. And we got there and there was no water. <laughs> it, was, it was just dry. And, uh, and so then there was kind of some panic and some fear because we were kind of beyond the point of just being able to, to get back off the mountain and weren't sure what to do. And by then we were thirsty. Some people had a little bit of their water because they had rationed it. But it was really, you know, it was really one of the first times I've ever really been genuinely just 
thirsty. And everybody knows what it is to be thirsty. You get thirsty several times during the day. But it's a whole different thing um, when you're thirsty and you can't get water. Uh, that just begins a whole new thing. And we live in a weird time in history where we just have so much access to clean water. Um, in, in fact, uh, you know, we are still working on our house. And last weekend we went and we picked up a fridge. It was the last of the appliances. And uh, one of the big prerequisites for our fridge was it had to have water. It had to have ice because we fill up our water bottles all day. And uh, then of course it had to be like cheap. And you know, we had, it was really hard to find one, but uh, we finally did. And we plumbed it into the wall and voila, there is water and it's good. And it was so exciting. And of course, because I've been in this story, I was just thinking, man, it's amazing that you can sit there on the couch and watch your favorite movie and be like, I'm thirsty. And just walk into the kitchen and you can get water from the sink or water from the fridge. Um, now we have a bathroom in our basement so I could walk down there and get some water if I wanted. We just have so much access to water. Uh, and it wasn't always like that in the world, but, um, but it's so important to realize that water is precious uh, and, and water satisfies us and, and we get thirsty. And especially if you're out there on a trail or if you're, uh, you're running or anything like that, you know what it is to get thirsty. And if you've ever not been able to get water when your body needed water, when your body wanted water, uh, you know all about the problem of being thirsty. And as we begin to kind of move through the story this morning, I want to point out some problems. Uh, you know, uh, and, and underlying there's this problem in the Bible called sin, where we have fallen short of God's glory. It says, all like sheep, we've gone astray. And, um, and so every problem kind of hinges on this thirst that we have for the Lord and the forgiveness of sins and the life that we find in Him. But, um, but there's also just the everyday problems that, that stem from all of that. And everything from inconveniences to cultural problems, they're all kind of found in here somewhere. And you know what? I think it starts in the first verse. Uh, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. So right away, uh, Jesus is, um, he's on the move, and he's on the move because the Pharisees are interested in him. They're watching him, and they're hearing that his ministry is exploding, and people are interested in him. And John has already mentioned the religious leaders a few times. Uh, they've taken interest in John the Baptist, and they've wanted to check out what he is saying. Uh, last time I got to teach, we talked about the clearing of the temple, and there Jesus was holding a whip of cords, and so he's already had some words with uh, the religious leaders. People like Nicodemus have come to Jesus and, and talked with him, and so there's this underlying tension of the religious leaders in the Gospels, and um, and so Jesus, uh, not wanting to have a premature crisis and not wanting to have uh, a disagreement that is too volatile, too quick, uh, he goes a different way. And this is because God is leading uh, all of this, not the Pharisees. Uh, that Jesus is committed to the work of the Father, the work of the kingdom. And so, uh, so uh, the, the Pharisees kind of here represent the first of our, our problems. They remind us that even this story kind of has a context of tension in it. So he leaves and he goes, uh, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee. 
and he had to pass through Samaria. And actually, Samaria here represents uh, yet another problem. Uh, Samaria uh, might remind you of the Old Testament when Israel splits into two kingdoms, uh, the northern and southern kingdoms. Samaria was a, a place where there was disagreement uh, between uh, peoples, and, um, and Jews avoided Samaria, and it says here that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Some Jews would even avoid Samaria. So Jesus is going through to Galilee, and Samaria is the quickest way, but uh, some devout Jews would go all the way around, a, a long way around. Uh, and uh, Jesus cuts right through. Samaria represents a lot of problems because uh, the, the kingdom had divided, and uh, years later, Assyria came through and put the northern kingdom, uh, which had settled around Samaria, and they put them into exile. So they basically deported people, and they mis- placed them. Uh, and then it got worse because then they brought other people from, uh, you know, Babylonians and just other peoples, and they brought them into the region. And what happened was that little remnant of people that had stayed behind over the years intermarried with all of these people. And they became a new people known as Samaritans. And there was some big difference between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so when the Jews returned from exile, they want nothing to do with the Samaritans. They don't see them as Jews anymore. Uh, and, and so there were quite a few differences between the Samaritans and the Jews, but there was long brewing tension between the neighboring peoples. Uh, they did not like each other to the extent, uh, you know, and I've often heard that you know, the Jews didn't want to talk to the Samaritans, but uh, one scholar was talking about the centuries kind of leading up to this, and there were even violent war crimes uh, from people to people. So they really didn't like uh, one another. And so this is just more tension. It's, it's more problems in the world that kind of infuse into this story. And yet he has to go through. And it just reminds us that God has plans uh, and that Jesus is going where the Lord wants him to go. And this isn't the first time it's mentioned Jesus needing uh, to do certain things. And so the story continues and it says that he came to a, a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field of Jacob, uh, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Some people say that was noon or six o'clock, but it was uh, late in the day. And uh, Jesus sat beside the well in Samaria uh, next to this uh, land that is mentioned. Uh, and so, uh, so he has to go and and there he is. And John is kind of reminding us, you know, as, as you think about uh, this land that Jacob had given his son Joseph, some very famous stories from uh, Genesis uh, are, are in this. And it reminds us, you know, how God was at work in this land. Uh, early on in the Bible, God is at work and people meet there and, and things happen there. And, and later on now, Jesus, here he is circling back again. And just God is on the move again. Um, and so Jesus uh, walks through and he sits at a well, but he's weary. Uh, and he's weary because he's been walking. And, and even this just reminds us of just the many problems in the world uh, today. Because if you walk for a long time, you get weary. And if you get weary, you get thirsty. Because our bodies 
only can take so much. And so we're all constantly in need. We have problems with our bodies. And, and the, the older we get, the more problems we have. Um, and I don't want to start dating myself here or anything, but, you know, I think back a few years ago when people, uh, you know, a lot of older people around Gateway were telling me like how fast time goes in those things. And then we started having kids and they were like, yeah, once you have kids, you have to really hang on. And I was like, ha, ha, thank you. I'm sure that's true. Uh, but then we had kids and it really started to fly by and all of a sudden Theo is seven and I'm 37 and it, it takes me longer to recuperate after running the trails and I'm starting to feel some effects of different things, man. Uh, but Jesus is wearied here and it just reminds us um, just that there are, are problems in life. There's big problems and there's small problems, but the story is kind of infused in problems. Uh, but it is in the midst of all of this uh, where, where Jesus meets this woman from Samaria. And that's kind of what happens next. So a woman of Samaria comes and draws water. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And I'm sure that was very fun for them to do. And they enjoyed that very much. Uh, but the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And there, that kind of highlights what we're talking about. There's no dealings here. They don't talk to each other. They don't like each other. And especially here, because this isn't uh, just any person. This is a woman of Samaria. And here she comes to the well by herself. There was no good reason to go to the well by yourself as a woman of Samaria. They would go in groups. But we'll learn later on in the story that, guess what? This woman has problems in her life. And those problems have isolated her from other, uh, from other peoples. Sometimes we look at problems in life and setbacks in life and limitations in life and, and inconvenient settings. And, and we sort of wait for these things to pass by before we get serious about our faith or we get serious about looking about how the Lord might want to use us that day. But that's not at all uh, how we should view problems or trials or setbacks or those things. Because one of the things I love in this story is that even though there are these problems and all these tensions and all these limitations that are brought up, God has a plan and uh, that the plan he has is great. One person said it this way, because Jesus was on a divinely appointed schedule, it was necessary that Jesus go through Samaria. Why? Because he would meet a woman there and lead her into saving faith, the kind of true faith that would affect an entire village. It's so true that God chooses people we don't always choose. God sees things in people that we don't always see. Sometimes God works in situations and circumstances that we wouldn't often choose. But he does, and he has a plan. And Jesus sets an amazing example in walking through Samaria because that's where the Lord is going. That's where he's, he's off to, and that's the mission. And so, uh, so right away, we just, let's kind of review some problems with the, the setting here. Uh, there's the problem of timing. There's sort of this contextual tension. The Pharisees are on the move and they're, they're watching Jesus's every move. And uh, this isn't going to be the last time that this comes up. It's, it's going to get much worse. Uh, there's the location. There's Jerusalem and Samaria. And Jesus has gone right through uh, in the middle of Samaria, uh, two places that were estranged from one another. Uh, and so there's division among the people. The Jews especially loathe the Samaritans. Uh, so Here's a problem there of just people. 
There's a problem of men and, and women, and uh, Jesus here is, he's a rabbi, and he's a teacher, and uh, he's a Jew, uh, but she is a woman with a troubled past and a troubled setting, uh, so what is he doing talking to her? And so there's all these things that, that might turn you off, and if there's nothing else, there's just being uncomfortable, there's being tired. And I just, I thought about this a lot this week, that a lot of times I look at hardships and problems in life as excuses uh, not to really be excited about faith, not to really view the world missionally, uh, not to wonder how God might use me each day, but rather to wonder about how he'll solve each and every problem. But we see here that there are, are kind of tired, uh, there's the little setbacks, but then there's the historic problems. There's the problems of people, and sometimes you might not think that many of these problems are applicable to us, but let me just remind you about a few years ago, a little word, uh, masks, and, uh, and, and the last election, and how quickly people uh, broke friendships with each other. Even families uh, were uh, disrupted by, by things. And so we live in a thirsty world. We live in a world that is riddled with problems. And the great thing about this is it sets us up to receive living water. It sets us up for the truth that we find in Jesus. Uh, and so, uh, so the problem uh, the problems in the, the story are not problems for God. The problems in our life are not problems for God. He's never surprised by them. He's never overpowered by them. He never has to go around our problems. He just works right in the middle of them. And I found that really encouraging this week that uh, no matter where I am uh, and no matter what is going on, that, that God works despite the problems. And of course, the solution as we look at the next few verses uh, is living water. The solution is to have a relationship with the Lord and to know him personally. So as we continue to read, let's kind of shift our focus and look at the solution of living water. So, uh, so she has said this, what are you doing talking to me? And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw the water with. The well is deep. Where do you get this living water? You see how quickly she goes back to the problems of, of the practical and, uh, and, and, and what are we going to do about this water situation? But Jesus here has begun to talk about living water. And as, as we kind of read the next few verses, things about living water and, and this nourishing, satisfying drink begin to stick out. First of all, we see that it's a gift. Uh, it's a gift from God. And so when we think about this living water and we think about the gift that God gives us and, and just uh, knowing him through salvation, you can't find it on your own. You can't dig through it. I think uh, they said this well was 150 feet deep. You, you can't dig uh, to, to the ends of the earth, but, but you can't just find it. Uh, it's given, and it's given as a gift. And it reminds me uh, how the Bible says that grace is a gift. You can't work your way to it. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. You can talk to all the Samaritans in the world and still not find living water because it's a gift that God gives us. Uh, and, uh, and, and so who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. And, and we find this uh, through Christ. And so she goes on and uh, she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and he drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. But Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
you know, and uh, Jacob's well was uh, known particularly for being clean and satisfying water. Uh, it was an old well, uh, and uh, people still know where it is uh, even today. Uh, and so it was known for being a great well, but Jesus says the problem with this great water is that it leaves you thirsty. And that's so true with the water of this world is it leaves you coming back for more. Uh, and I think about, uh, you know, uh, so I like to run a lot and I'm so excited that the sun is just starting to come out. Uh, but uh, man, when, when I run and I come back and even after just doing a few miles and I get back to the car and I always have a big jug of water in the car. And you guys know I love coffee. Uh, I've been really into Slurpees these days because my boys like Slurpees a lot and they cost a dollar. Uh, and, so, um, uh, and last time we went, I think we're going to much because last time I went to get my kids Slurpees, the guy goes, they're on the house. And I was excited about that, but I thought I might be drinking too many Slurpees. Uh, uh, but anyway, I love that stuff. It doesn't satisfy. And when your body knows it needs a refueled, and when you know you need nutrients and you need water, you don't want Slurpees. You don't want coffee. You don't want anything. You just want water. I remember setting up tents that night and just wanting water. That was all I wanted because I knew I really needed it. You know, it reminds me how Psalms uh, it says to, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Jesus is the thing that satisfies. Knowing the Lord is the thing that satisfies in this world. It's the only thing that can really satisfy in this world. There's a verse uh, in Jeremiah where he says to the people, uh, God says to the people, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns. They cannot hold water. And I think that's true for us a lot of times that we, we go to cisterns that can't hold any water. They just leak. And, and, and they, they provide no ongoing value. And I know this seems like, well, that silly just depends on the Lord. And we know that, but we can be so quick to forget it. You know, we can celebrate the wrong things. We can worship the wrong things. We can give credit and glorify the wrong things in our life. And you know, growing up, I always heard people talk about like, you know, it was sort of like you, you follow God and you're a Christian or it's like sex, rock and roll, drugs, you know, really bad. But the truth is there are all kinds of good cisterns out there that still don't hold any water. There are good things that you can live for instead of the Lord and give your life to and devote your life to instead of the Lord. Man, I think about something like um, having a family. And I think that is one of the best things you can do with your life. I think it's one of the best ways you can devote your, your life, your time uh, in, in that raising children. I, I love that. I think that is uh, one of the most important things in my life. But it's not the fountain of, of living water. Right? And, and I don't want to worship my family. I don't want to put them before uh, the Lord and his call on my life and his call on how to lead my family. I think a lot of people do this with romance. Right? Romance is a beautiful thing. It's so wonderful to meet somebody that you love and, and to get married and have kids. What a great thing. But we don't want to worship our spouse. They're not the fount of living water. In fact, when we do that and when we do put those people first and we do make them our everything, there's problems that always come soon after that because those things don't really satisfy. 
not like the Lord does. He's personal and it goes down to the deepest parts of who we are. We were made to know him. Uh, and so what, what we see is that, uh, that this fountain of water, uh, it's a gift, it's given by God, but it's satisfying. Uh, and uh, he goes on and, and he says that uh, whoever, uh, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. You're satisfied. You know that there's only one true source of living water, nowhere else. And the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Everybody wants a water like that, but it's only found in one place. And we are very fortunate today, most of us, hopefully all of us, uh, to have discovered that water in Christ, to experience the riches and the nourishment that only are found in Christ as we live in a relationship with him. And it's partly because that water, it's personal. It's a spring of water. It's alive. It's a moving water. It, it's not just a set of beliefs. It's not just a set of disciplines like reading your Bible and praying every day. Those are great things. But at the end of the day, it's a relationship. It's knowing God personally and experiencing him. It's a spring of water and we know where to go to get a drink. It doesn't mean that you won't have problems. It doesn't mean that God will solve all of your problems. In fact, far from it. In fact, I think more what we see in the Bible is that God just gives us the strength to use our problems for him. He gives us the wisdom to use problems for him. He, and he gives us the endurance to see things through faithfully. He gives us the ability to weather the storm. And it's because that in us is a spring of water and it wells up to eternal life. It's personal. There's a picture of this in Psalm chapter 1 where it says, uh, uh, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. And it's a beautiful picture of a tree that's just planted by these streams of water. And so its roots run deep into it. And it finds, it finds the law of the Lord. It finds his word. It finds the person of God to be satisfying. And you know what happens when you're satisfied in the Lord and you're growing in the Lord and you're knowing him more and more is it begins to strengthen you. You begin to produce fruit. You begin to see things differently because he's living in you. It's a, it's a great picture of it. It reminds me years ago, I went on a mission trip to San Salvador and there was this church there that was building onto the building because uh, they were growing and uh, they wanted to, I think they were going to, I think they were going to tear down part of the church or they're going to repurpose it, but it involved uh, in Central America going down to this like basement of this church and we had to get out all of these like rocks and mud. There were like big cement chunks down there and we had to clear the whole place out and then they were going to dig down in the ground and, and pour a proper foundation down in it. And, uh, and so for days um, I had uh, two five gallon buckets and I would fill them up with dirt and with rocks and things like that. And I would, I would take them up these stairs and I would go through the, the main church and I'd walk out the doors uh, across the street and then there was this huge hill that was like basically just a town dump and I would dump the buckets 
And then I'd go back down uh, into the little basement and keep working. And I did that for five days. And there was a whole group of us doing that. And I remember uh, there was uh, sort of the team leader there. And he, he was like a 20-year veteran. He knew these people very well. And I remember, I can still hear it, drink, drink, drink. You think you've drank enough, but you haven't. You have to keep drinking. It's so true if you've ever done like manual labor in Central America or someplace where it's very, very hot, you just sweat all the time. I've never sweat like that in my life. And so you just keep drinking and you keep drinking. And I think that's kind of a a good thing for us today because the fountain of living water, you've got to keep drinking it. You've got to keep abiding in it. You've got to stay faithful in it uh, and, and avoid the other cisterns. Don't push, the, don't, don't make those ones first because they won't satisfy you. They won't nourish you. They won't lead you to do the right things and the best things with your life. Jesus says it uh, this way uh, later on in John, and I won't say too much about it because uh, I'm sure it will be its own sermon, but uh, he says, if anyone thirsts, Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so we see it's a relationship with the Lord. It's the filling of the Spirit. It's knowing Him. And those of you who are filled with the Spirit, you know that that's what keeps drawing you to the Bible. And you keep learning about who the Lord is and you experience Him there. Uh, You draw close to friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because you find nourishment there. You find satisfaction there because living water is good water and nothing else will really satisfy. So as we think about living water in, in John, uh, we see that it's a gift. You can't, you can't find it yourself. You can't conjure it up yourself. And any efforts to do that will only disappoint you. It's from God. He's the source of living water. It's something that is satisfying, deeply satisfying. It's something that is spiritual and it, it is personal. It is a relationship with the Lord and it is eternal. It lasts forever and ever. And though we have finite bodies now and we live in a world full of finite problems, living water satisfies because it is eternal. We will always and we will always have it. So the solution is living water. As we continue to read through the source, uh, through the story, we find that the source, where do we get this living water? How do we have this living water? And it's through belief in Jesus. And so Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. And so the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, uh, you're right in saying you have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you have now, uh, he is not your husband. Uh, what you've said is true. And I think this is like one of the big like mic drops of the New Testament. You know, uh, you've had five husbands, like man, called out. Uh, I had a lot of stories about being called out, but I didn't think they'd be very helpful for you today. Uh, <laughs> but you know how that is to be called out. And, uh, you know, so we start to observe things about the source and about Jesus and about uh, the source of living water. And one of the things that you find um, is that he knows that she has had five husbands because the source of living water is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows every single thing about you today. He knows everything about your problems. He knows everything about your context. He knows everything about your thoughts. He knows everything about your secret desires in your hearts, and you can't hide anything from him. 
we have uh, we have all sorts of problems in the world uh, that are too big for our minds to comprehend, but they're not for for him. He's not stopped by problems. He's not stopped by circumstances, and he's not stumped by us. He knows us completely. And so uh, also that he's personal. The woman says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. This was just a word that, that had a wide range of meaning, uh, but something was divine about him. Something was supernatural about him. And she goes back to these problems, though, about Samaria and, and Judea. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, but you say that it's in Jerusalem. That's the place where people ought to worship. So notice how she just does this again. She kind of goes back. It's, it's easy to talk about religion. It's easy to talk about philosophical ideas. It's easy to talk about spiritual ideas. Man, it's a whole nother thing to confront a living God who knows every single thing about you. Uh, the source is personal. Uh, another thing that uh, begins to stick out, though, is that the source is truthful. Jesus is full of both grace and truth. So Jesus says to her, uh, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither here or on this, uh, or neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And there's an important point about the source of living water, that there is truth. There is truth. It's not anybody's version of God or every culture's, you know, different uh, historical acceptance of who God is. There is a real God. He's a real person. And the Bible articulates who he is, and he's described himself to us. Salvation uh, is from the Jews. And, and so he doesn't compromise the truth for her. He doesn't back off on the truth. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of David, the long-awaited Messiah. That came from the Jews, not the Samaritans. And she and all of them were wrong about that. And so he tells her this. But he continues, he says, but there's good news in all of this. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The hour that he's talking about is the hour of the work of the cross of Calvary. It is the good news that belief in Jesus, the remission of sins, is eternal life. That hour is coming, and it's now it now has come. And it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are or what your culture is or, or what problems you have in, in your life or your world. Uh, it matters what you believe, uh, and it matters who you say that Jesus is. Because the Father is seeking those who worship in spirit and truth. Uh, it's something that we experience. Uh, it's somebody that we know personally. Uh, it is a real relationship with a real person, but it is a person. Uh, not any person, not a relative person. Uh, there is one God, and, uh, and, and he wants us to know him, the true fount of living water. Uh, so as we finish up here, there's one more thing, and it says that the woman says to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. They were waiting for something. The Samaritans were waiting for a prophet, uh, somebody that would come and explain things to him. And, uh, but uh, she calls him here the Messiah. And so whether she's referring to him as the prophet they were waiting for, or maybe she had heard John the Baptist talk about the Messiah who has come, she knows that there's somebody coming. Everybody was waiting for somebody to come. Uh, but Jesus says, uh, I who speak to you am 
he. Uh, and so he's very explicit that he is uh, the Messiah. And, uh, and I love how the Messiah, the son of David, uh, is sitting with this woman at the well and notice that he knows her personally. And we don't know exactly what was going on in her life with the five husbands and uh, women weren't treated well in that day. And so it could have been that she was really sinful. It could have been that she was a part of a very, very sinful people, but her life was broken. And Jesus, though he didn't have to, sat with her and he knew her and he talked to her in such a way that she wanted to keep talking to him. Imagine talking to somebody who knew every single thing about you, but he wanted to sit and talk with you. He had grace. He was full of grace. God is full of grace, but he's full of truth. And he doesn't change the truth for us. He doesn't compromise the truth for us. Jesus is as early as full of grace and truth. And we see that with the woman at the well, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. He is the source of the living water. You know, I think about this, um, this story today and I'm reminded of the satisfying, nourishing effects of experiencing and drinking living waters. Maybe you today feel like the woman, uh, you're thirsty. You have problems in your life, cultural problems, family problems, uh, history problems, and maybe you're waiting for somebody to come and solve all of your problems. But Jesus comes and he gives living water. He gives eternal life. He gives a relationship with the king of heaven and earth. And he knows us personally. Experience tells me that many people in this room have complicated issues in our life. We have things that are heavy in our life. They're so heavy that you would never want to tell anybody else those things. They're so heavy you wouldn't want to burden anybody. But imagine somebody who already knows it, knows it even more than you, understands it even more than you do. And he wants to sit with you and talk with you and invite you into these rivers, this fount of living water where there's refreshment and there's nourishment and there's life. Jesus invites us into such relationship with him. He is the Messiah. He explains everything to us. Everything about our deepest needs are met in him. And everything about our practical problems are met in him. I want to encourage you this week to pursue those, that fount of living water and to drink deep and to draw deep from the fountain of, of living waters. But there's only one source. There's only one fountain. Uh, and, and that is through a relationship with Jesus. Let me pray for us and we're going to close with uh, singing about how he is our all in all today. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you present yourself that you are full of grace and truth. And that, Lord, in you, we find both grace and truth. Jesus, today, I know we are a thirsty people. We have problems in our life. We have setbacks in our life. Maybe some of us in this room uh, haven't even placed our faith in you. We don't even know what those living waters taste like. And Lord, today, wherever we are in our relationship with you, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and the courage and that, Lord, you would take us by the hand and lead us deeper into a relationship with you, the fountain of living waters. Lord, we ask you for this. In your name we pray.